and welcome to The Jared White Show, episode 49, recorded January 28th, 2020. I'm your host, Jared White, and this is a weekly podcast where we gather to celebrate the best of internet culture, advocate for an open web, revel in geek fandom, and discover what it means to be a creator of integrity in 2020 and beyond. This is a very special week in Apple history, and for me personally, this week we are celebrating the 10th anniversary of the launch of the iPad. That's right, folks. 10 years ago, in January of 2010, Steve Jobs unveiled the very first iPad. Now, I won't go too far into sort of the, the, the launch and, and, the, and various aspects of the original iPad, because I did in episode 22 of this show when the iPad was celebrating its ninth birthday. So you can go listen to that episode. The link's in the show notes. Skip forward to about 17 minutes, 50 seconds, where I start talking about the iPad. And in the episode, I commented on how in some tech circles, there are still arguments over what the iPad is for. It's interesting to go back and listen to Apple's original pitch for, for why make this device? Why does the iPad exist? Uh, and I have a link in the show notes to an excellent video by Rene Ritchie called The Secret History of the iPad. Uh, and there's some clips from the Jobs keynote. And one of, the, one of the cool aspects of the presentation, and one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes ever, is uh, he was talking about how the smartphone was a successful device category, and everyone knew what a laptop was. So a lot of people were, were now you know, essentially dual device computer users. They had a smartphone and a laptop. Of course, the iPhone had been around a couple years already, about three years, I think, and uh, that was a very successful product. So Jobs is saying, you know, is there room for a third category of device? If there were going to be a third category of device, it has to be better at some key tasks, better than a smartphone or a laptop. And then this quote from Jobs, which I just absolutely love, he said, some people have thought that category is netbooks. The problem with netbooks is they aren't better at anything. Oh, I love me some jobs throwing shade at all his competitors. <laughs> yeah, uh, netbooks, netbooks were a thing back in the in the 2010s. That they they were a thing. But the the question is though, like looking back, why why were netbooks the big thing that people thought were were competing with smartphones, and laptops? Why why wasn't it tablets? How come tablets weren't a thing already? Why why was there no real substantial tablet market? What, what, what was going on with that? Uh, and the answer is, the tablet had already failed in the marketplace. By 2010, tablets were effectively dead. And I'm going to go much more on that in a little bit here. Uh, but just, just wrapping up what I was saying last year about the iPad in that episode, um, you know, I commented on how the iPad ended up being a very important and successful product line uh, with, with bigger sales than, than many other categories of electronics or computers out there. Uh, you know, other than obviously what Apple sells, like the the juggernaut that is the iPhone. Um, but you know, the, the iPad was a bit controversial when it came out, with people trying to figure out, you know, what it can do exactly and what it's for. Uh, and and that still hasn't changed. It's still <laughs> it's still a bit controversial. 
Um, but I, I voiced my hopes a year ago that the upcoming release of iOS 13 would, would sort of complete the iPad Pro picture and, and plug a whole, lot of holes on the software side so that the iPad could be, um, you know, considered much more readily usable by uh, a, a large swath of, of power users out there. Um, and we kind of saw that happen with iPad OS 13. Apple did add a ton of features that made the iPad much more usable for people in various contexts, you know, with the, with the advent of support for external storage and desktop class Safari uh, and, and a whole bunch of other things. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not here right now to, to sort of uh, argue for or against the current state of iPad software. What I, I really want to do is is uh, kind of look look back to the the world in which the iPad originated and what was going on there. And then I want to look to the future and I want to give you my wish list for what I'd like to see in the next release of iPad OS. So in terms of looking back, uh, 512 Pixels blog run by Stephen Hackett uh, has a good roundup of some different links. Uh, it's called the iPad at 10. So I, I definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, I have a link in the show notes to a really fascinating article. It's called The iPad's Original Software Designer and Program Lead. Look back on the device's first 10 years. Um, So if you're curious about the the genesis of the iPad project within Apple and what was going on behind the scenes there, that article over at Input Magazine is a tremendous resource. But I want to give you a little bit of my personal history and my relationship with the iPad so going all the way back, all the way back to the late 90s, this was even before Mac OS X came out. This is when the iMac was first on the scene. I was not yet a Mac user. I was not yet a big fan of Apple. I was all into BOS and the company B based in Menlo Park. And BOS was an operating system that could run on just regular PCs. You could use it instead of Windows or instead of Linux or what have you. Uh, and BOS just seemed revolutionary to me at the time. Uh, it had a, a beautiful interface with anti-aliased fonts. Uh, it was really great at multitasking and particularly where it comes to uh, multimedia creation. So you know, the big pitch for BOS was that you could you could run video editing software, you could run music production software, and it could handle all this kind of high-performance computing on your desktop in a way that both Mac and Windows at the time uh, really struggled. But as fate would have it, uh, BOS never gained any real traction in the marketplace. And that was in large part due to the fact that at that time, Microsoft was engaged in predatory practices and they effectively penalized computer manufacturers from allowing BOS or any other uh, operating system to be installed alongside Windows. You, know, you basically had to be Windows only, or Microsoft would basically raise the price that they sold Windows to you as the OEM, uh, you know, pricing everyone else out of the market. So, uh, so B saw the writing on the wall, and they did a, this big pivot, and they... They sort of downplayed what they were doing with BOS and unveiled this new platform called BIA. And the IA stands for Information Appliance. And the idea was that B would create the software that runs on these 
It's new internet appliances. It'd be these sort of new form factors, these new sorts of computers uh, that, that ranged all the way from something that sat on a desktop and kind of looked like an iMac, all the way to tablets. And I have a link in the show notes to a fascinating video on YouTube. This, this is not the best quality, uh, but it's a video uh, showing off just a little bit of what B was trying to do with what they called the WebPad. They have this prototype tablet called the WebPad. And this WebPad was, was you know, all hooked up to wireless internet and networking, and you could carry it around with you. And the idea would be that you just have this tablet in your hand. Uh, it, it wasn't clear to me if it had any sort of touchscreen ability. Uh, they, they showed uh, uh, using a stylus to interact with the screen. So I'm thinking maybe it, it didn't support actually touching it. Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment, because that's a big factor in, in what was going on with the tablet scene all the way through the 2000s. Um, but anyway, long story short, uh, I remember in the year 2000, uh, first seeing reports about these new BIA-powered tablets, the web pad, what have you. Uh, and the instant I saw it, the instant I heard about it, I was just floored. I was in love with the whole idea and I'm kicking myself now that I don't have access to this, but I wrote an article, essentially a blog post, all the way back you know, around the year 2000, in which I, I argued for this vision of the future in which I could be at my computer, at my desk, uh, working on a document or writing an email or surfing the web or what have you, and, and basically think to myself, you know, it's nice weather outside. I think I'll go out to my porch and... Uh, grab a drink and enjoy the sunshine and, and uh, do some work out there. So I just stop what I'm doing at my desk, grab my tablet with wireless networking, go outside and continue writing my email or continue looking at the web page. And I just have this tablet in my hand and I'm, I'm you know, effectively doing mobile computing out in the world. So I, I was so excited about this future. And then B imploded. The whole thing came to naught. It was all vaporware. B, the company got sold to Palm, which then did absolutely nothing with the whole tablet idea, which is ironic because Palm (laughs) started the whole sort of PDA revolution a long, long time ago. Uh, And if any company, you know, you would think like would get tablets right from the right out of the gate, it would have been Palm, but uh, they didn't do anything. (sighs) So I was so disappointed, and you know, luckily I got sort of distracted with uh, with the first release of Mac OS X and what Apple is doing in the early two thousands with all their um, you know titanium PowerBook hardware and things of that nature. So I I sort of I sort of got off the tablet bandwagon, and apparently so did everyone else because the tablet market in the whole two thousands from 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 that era of the, the beginning of the decade all the way up to 2010, uh, tablets were just not a thing. And it wasn't for lack of trying on Microsoft's part. Microsoft kept trying over and over again to push the tablet PC, the tablet PC. Everyone should use a tablet PC. And they had tablet PC versions of Windows, and they tried to get third-party manufacturers on board with making tablets. And nobody wanted these things because they were just garbage. They were terrible. And to highlight just how terrible they were, 
Uh, I have a link in the show notes to an uh, announcement that Microsoft did right before the iPad was announced. And they, they had gone through a renaming. So instead of calling them tablet PCs, they had started calling them slate PCs. <laughs> and in this video, you can see then CEO of Microsoft, Steve Ballmer, showing off all these slate PCs. And you can just look at these things, especially the Windows 7 interface running on top of these things. And it just all looks terrible. It's just terrible. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> I, I have here in the show notes, Slate PCs from Microsoft. Lol. <laughs> Lol. It was so bad. Uh, I also have a link in the show notes here to a great thread from Steven Stanofsky of uh Microsoft, well, you know, formerly uh, head of Windows at Microsoft, talking about how he and his team, uh, you know, were trying to get these slate PCs off the ground, and then they saw what Apple had done with the iPad, and they were like, "Oh no, oh no, <laughs> they're going to eat our lunch." <laughs> they they got this right, and and we're screwed. Uh, so. Um, yeah, slate PCs. Oh my God. Anyway, so so I'm just trying to paint the picture here of how dire things had gotten uh, when when it comes to tablets. I'd gone from you know in the year 2000 thinking that tablets were the future of computing, uh, as as you might hear Apple saying more recently. I'd gone from thinking that to just thinking tablets are are a dead end and nobody's getting it right. Um, but then, of course, uh, e even before the iPhone came out, but definitely after the iPhone first came out, uh, the rumors were flying thick and fast that Apple was working on their own tablet. And there were so many different ideas of what this could be. Uh, you know, some people thought uh, Apple was going to make a tablet based on Mac OS X. So you saw a lot of mock-ups floating around the web at the time of these sort of MacBook tablet sort of things, Mac tablets. Uh, a few people thought maybe it was going to be based on the iPhone, but the, the mock-ups you, you saw people doing there was, was basically just an iPhone just sort of blown up. Like if you take the iPhone and just literally made it physically larger, that's just kind of what they imagined, like these, these megaphone tablet things. And then Apple shows off the iPad. And yes, they did take the iPhone software and make it larger but the iPad was so much more than the iPhone, even from day one. Even from day one, uh, despite what critics started saying soon after, the iPad was more than just a bigger iPhone. The iPad was indeed its own category of device. And I think for at least the first few years, having the iPad tethered to the iPhone in terms of the software story is is so much of what made the iPad a successful product. You know, it wasn't a tablet PC concept. It wasn't, you know, you weren't taking a, a desktop OS built for this paradigm of using a mouse and using external keyboard and, and you know, clicking around with, with a precision pointing device. It wasn't taking that and trying to refactor it for, you know, use with a stylus or whatever. The, the iPad was, was built from the ground up to work with this multi-touch input paradigm where you're using your finger, you're using your hands, you're holding just a single piece of glass in your hand uh, and, and the interface is, is built specifically for that input method, specifically for that use case. And it's really telling the way uh, you know, Steve Jobs 
set up the stage showing off the first iPad where, where there's sort of a lounge chair and a coffee table and, and he can just pick up his I- iPad and sit back in the chair and watch a video or read the New York Times or read an iBook or, uh, you know, look at a chart in numbers and update a few of the, of the data values there and, and then, uh, you know, share that with a colleague or whatever. Just this, this idea that, that you could use a computing device while you're reclining. It's, it's something you might use in your leisure time. It's, it's, I mean, we all do that now. Like, <laughs> we're all going to the bathroom with our smartphones. We're all, like, <laughs> watching Netflix at 3 a.m. in the morning in bed. Like, we're all doing this, this leisure computing lifestyle now. Uh, but at the time, that, that was unique. That was sort of a new thing. Like, like computers were used for business. Maybe they were used for fun, like, you know, playing video games or something. But people weren't using computers sort of in their day-to-day leisure time. A, a computer was a thing you went to go use. It was, you know, it was like going to a TV to watch a movie. It, it was this thing you had in your house or office that you would go to and use and then leave. But the iPhone and then the iPad brought about this whole new way of interacting with the computing landscape where a computer was was kind of integrated into your moment-by-moment lifestyle, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And none of these tablet PCs or Slate PCs from Microsoft were, were built with that context in mind. It was, it was taking you know, the, the PC technology from basically the, the workplace and just trying to slap it into this Slate form factor, and it was just terrible. So the iPad came out. The iPad was revolutionary. It was magical. It was amazing. It sold incredibly well right out of the gate. It was very successful. And then, and then, it seemed like the iPad, both in sales and in pace of updates, fell into the doldrums. And the the mid-2010s, you know, maybe around 2015, 2016, uh, the iPad story was was really unclear. It was really getting muddled. A lot of people were becoming disillusioned. Uh, and but then things started to turn around with with Apple coming out with the first iPad Pro, the the original 12.9 inch iPad Pro that sort of argued for this idea that the iPad could be a powerful computer, could be used by professionals, get real work done. Uh, and and Apple's just continued to push that more and more all the way up to the release of iPad OS 13 this past year. So I thought to, to round out this conversation on the iPad, uh, I, would, I would give you my wish list on what I'd love to see in iPad OS 14. Because listen, I love my iPad Pro so much. I love it. I love it. I love it. But uh, I do now have a brand new MacBook Pro, which I'm using for web development and some other uh, high performance computing needs. And, you know, it's, it's one of these situations where over the years, I've tried really hard to make the iPad, you know, more or less the main computing device I use every day for everything I do. And it's, it's just not quite there yet for everything. It's there for a lot of things. And in some ways, it's way better than a Mac for what I need to do. You know, if I, if I need to, to brainstorm, if I need to take notes, if I need to do some research, I just want to sit down and write. 
uh, and a few, a few other different contexts of, of computing tasks, uh, I much prefer my iPad over my Mac. I, I definitely, I, and with the Apple Pencil too, like there are things I can do on an iPad I literally can't do on a Macintosh laptop. There's just no way to do it. So, so I love my iPad, but there are some things that uh, it's missing that, that I would need to be able to use it a lot more. So here's my iPad OS 14 wish list. Here's what I would love to see later this year. So the first thing is a Unix terminal. Some kind of way to, to drop down to a Unix terminal and run all the commands that I run on a Mac to get work done. Uh, things like installing a PostgreSQL database or installing Ruby so I can run a Ruby on Rails web application. Uh, installing Redis. Installing Elasticsearch. Uh, basically installing and running uh, background processes in this uh, Unix terminal context. And I realized that <laughs> doing something like this, it, it seems so anathema to the ethos of iPadOS and iOS, where, where you know, there's this whole idea that every app is a silo and there's intense security around every boundary of every process and so forth. But I feel like there's got to be a way to create a sandboxed Unix environment. You know, just if you just have a single app called Terminal, and when you tap into that app, you know, whatever you do in that app stays effectively in that app. And the only way you can access files or do, or do any kind of interaction with any other apps on your device, it would have to be, you know, sort of explicitly set up by the user and sort of punch holes through the, the firewalls between all the apps. I, I feel like there's got to be a way to do that. You know, they already have a way where if you're in one app, you can open up a file or an entire folder that's located in some other app's file storage and have a two-way interaction between those apps now with those files. You know, there's already a way to do that in the operating system. So there's got to be a way to enable a Unix terminal. And as far as keeping things running in the background, uh, sort of my my tag on wish item here is that uh, uh, iPad OS 14 would give you more control over background processes, like some way to to tell the operating system, hey, you know this app here, this terminal app or some other app, like I want it to just be able to run in the background, no problem. You know, don't close it down, don't stop it, don't don't terminate anything. You know, unless like the operating system is literally completely out of memory and everything's melting down. Like, you know, do what you got to do, just like a, a desktop OS will, frankly. Uh, but, you know, unless things are, you know, in that emergency state, uh, keep this thing running, keep it going. Uh, so that way, if, if, you know, if there were a Unix terminal app in iPadOS 14, and I want to run a web service and a database and so forth in the background, uh, it, it would really do that. My next wish list item here is kind of along similar lines. Uh, I would love Safari to have a web inspector. So just like Safari on the iPad is now considered desktop class Safari, uh, it's a powerful web browser. I'd love there to be a way to bring up a, an inspector so that I could do all the sort of uh, web development things within Safari on the iPad that I do on the Mac. Uh, and there, there is an app in the App Store called Inspect. Uh, which gives you a web inspector, uh, and and you can browse websites and and you know interact with the JavaScript console and look at the elements and change styles and so forth. But 
Uh, but it's it's way underpowered compared to the web inspector in Safari on the Mac. So I just want Apple to bring that over to the iPad. Uh, this next item, again, is just in the interest of making the iPad more usable in a variety of contexts. Uh, they sort of, kind of, have mouse support now. It's part of their accessibility features, uh, but it could be a lot better. So I just simply want the mouse support or trackpad support to get a lot better in iPadOS 14. And similarly, I would love them to improve the external display support as well. So I really like this idea that you know, I could have an iPad in my hand and I'm doing multi-touch and doing all the sort of tablet stuff. And then if I just take my iPad and dock it on a desk, boom, all of a sudden I can use an external pointing device, I can use a big monitor, and I can use iPadOS software, no problem. That's the dream. That's what a lot of people want. And I think if they don't do that in iPadOS 14, uh, that that's going to be a real problem. Like if if none of this gets any better in iPadOS 14, that's going to be very disappointing and very concerning for a lot of people. This next item is a little hard for me to explain, but uh, I, I'm calling I'm calling it picture in picture styled apps or just content. So I was thinking, what could make iPad multitasking better? What could improve it? Um, and <laughs> a quick aside here, uh, John Gruber over at Daring Fireball posted an article called The iPad Awkwardly Turns 10. Uh, and in this article, John Gruber's venting and very upset about multitasking on the iPad and just basically says that multitasking is terrible and it doesn't work well at all and it's confusing and it's awkward and he doesn't like it at all. And if Apple could could allow him to actually just go back to using an iPad in simple mode where it's just one full screen app at a time and that's all he can do, he would be quite happy. And uh, it, it's all I can do to, to, to not just tear this article to shreds right now because it's it's so ridiculous on a number of levels and actually it's factually incorrect in at least one spot like john gruber is flat out wrong in at least one respect in this article which i have demonstrated to him on twitter and we actually had a little bit of an exchange on twitter and as of the recording of this episode he has not corrected his article and what he said is that uh if you have an app open on your ipad you can't go to your home screen and pick a second app and bring it into a new split screen mode. There's no way to do that. And that's factually incorrect. You can go to your home screen, you can start dragging an app, and using the new iPhone 10 style slide gesture at the bottom, you can slide back to your first app and bring that home screen app into split view. You absolutely can do that. In fact, you can even start dragging the app from the home screen uh, you can then, with another finger, uh, pull up from the uh, swipe up from the bottom to get into the the sort of tiled multitasking view where you see a bunch of your different apps, and you can then drag the app into one of those other apps, and it does this sort of you know spring loaded sort of animation. You can go into one of those apps and then go into split view. So there's absolutely a way to do those things. I was shocked to see this factually incorrect statement by John Gruber in his article. And as of the recording of this episode, he has still not corrected it. <sighs> All right. With that out of the way, <laughs> it did get me thinking, what is a way to improve multitasking on the iPad? And one of the things I thought of is um, 
I really love what they've done with picture in picture, where you can be watching a video and then when you switch away from that video app to some other app, you get this this overlaid little window of that video playing and you can move it around and you can kind of dock it to the side and then you can bring it back. Uh, anyway, it's just a really nice feature. Uh, and then meanwhile, if you actually want sort of a floating app, there's this slide overview where you can kind of get an, an app floating in this sort of long vertical pane off to one side. Uh, and it looks kind of like, a, you know, you have a floating iPhone on top of your iPad display. Um, but the the picture-in-picture -picture mode with the video, you can resize it, you can move it around to different corners. It's a lot more flexible than SlideOver. And what I would really like to see is for them to take SlideOver and re evolve it towards that picture-in-picture -picture style where... Uh, you know, it becomes more of a of a you know rectangle shape if you want that, and you could you sort of resize it in real time and and dock it to one corner or another, uh, and maybe you know maybe hide it into a little a little tab and then bring it back out into view uh, and just make that a lot more flexible. I think if if you know if if they take the split view mode that they have already and add this picture-in-picture -picture styled app or, or some piece of content that you want floating, like an image or a note or something. You know, if, if, they, if they made that work just a little bit better and a little bit more consistently, I think that would remove a lot of the objections people still have to multitasking on the iPad. Uh, this next wishlist item is actually a, a desire for them to continue evolving a concept that they introduced in iPadOS 13, which I really like. Uh, so they added a three-finger tap gesture. So if you're editing text anywhere and you want to cut or copy or paste or you want to undo a change, you can actually just tap with three fingers anywhere in that editing screen. Uh, and you get this beautiful menu kind of along the top of the screen that, that, that just floats above everything where you have all these options, including undo. And it's actually <laughs> the, the first time you have global undo everywhere, uh, no matter what you're doing. Uh, you don't have to pick up your device and shake it to get some kind of undo prompt. <laughs> uh, and I really like this three-finger tap gesture. What I don't like is that context menu that comes up along the top of... Uh, where you're immediately trying to select a word. You know, you, we've all seen it where you, you're trying to select a word and then it comes up with different options. And uh, half the time the, the menu comes up and it's obscuring something you're also trying to select or it, it, you're, it, it's missing options and you have to like swipe back and forth to find the right option. And uh, there's there's all kinds of problems with this. And, you know, it is what it is when you're using a phone, perhaps, because there's not a lot of screen real estate. But when you're using the iPad, I feel like there's no excuse for this fiddly little floating menu right above the word you're selecting. I would much prefer to be able to just edit text and then use this three-finger tap gesture and get all the options in a beautiful menu that comes up at the top of the screen. So, so I don't know what they would do exactly here, but what I would like to see is for them to have an option to just remove that floating menu right above the words entirely and just allow me to use the three-finger tap gesture all the time. I would just, you know, that would essentially be the equivalent of the right-click <laughs> on a Mac. Uh, just three-finger tap, boom, get the context menu for your text, uh, have all the options there. Uh, I, I would really like to see that. And then finally, my last wish list item here is, is less about iPadOS per se 
and more just about the app ecosystem. I really want to see more pro apps come to the iPad, and particularly from Apple. I, you know, it, it feels bizarre to me that in the year 2020, with the iPad celebrating its 10th anniversary, we still don't have Final Cut Pro for the iPad. We still don't have Logic Pro for the iPad. And, and what's taking Adobe so long here? But, you know, they finally announced real Photoshop for the iPad. And then Photoshop, after a long period of time, finally was released. And it's woefully lacking features. I mean, I tried to get some real work done in Photoshop for iPad a couple months ago. And it was so painful because there were so many just basic features missing from Photoshop. It's only real Photoshop in the sense that the PSD files you can load and save are real PSD files. But the actual app itself is a joke. It's a toy. It's not real Photoshop. So <laughs> I'm very frustrated right now with Adobe. Uh, and, and another thing that's frustrating to me is uh, for a, a long time, I tried to find a way to get my music creation workflow to be iPad only. Uh, I, I've used Logic forever on the Mac, like literally f since the days that Logic was uh, run by eMagic before Apple bought them. Um, and I, I was thinking a few years ago that maybe I could start composing music, you know, making electronic music just on the iPad. And I tried out different apps and different plugins and so forth. Um, and it, the ecosystem has just never gotten to be what it could be. Uh, major, major manufacturers are still not supporting the iPad. You know, where's Arturia? Where's Native Instruments? Where's Tall Software? Where's Yuhi? I mean, all, all the synthesizer plugins I love using every day, for the most part, are still Mac only. There's a couple that you can get on iPad as well, and you can even share presets back and forth between the plugin running on the, the iPad and, and the Mac which is cool, but for the most part, uh, it's just not there. And the, the only DAW, uh, Digital Audio Workstation software that I've seen that runs on iPad that's anywhere close to what you can do in Logic Pro is Cubasis from Steinberg. But I, I'm not a fan of Steinberg's interfaces. I've never used Cubase on the Mac for that reason. Uh, I just don't like the way they design user interfaces. Basically, I love Logic Pro. I love Logic Pro. I, I, I don't even have to think about what I'm doing when I use Logic. It's just everything feels intuitive. Everything feels natural to me. I love making music in Logic. And I just want Logic on the iPad. Just Apple, please, please just tell your Logic team, hey, guys, take Logic and port it to iPad. Boom. Done. Yes, listen, I know it's a tremendous amount of work and not easy to do. But just conceptually, you, you don't have to reinvent everything and go nuts. Just take logic, move it to the iPad, you know, beef up the sizes of some things so it works better with touch. And, and that's all you need to do. It's really just all you need to do. It's all I want. <sighs> it's frustrating. I'm sure that the video editors out there feel the same way about Final Cut Pro. Like, just, just give me Final Cut Pro for the iPad. Uh, Luma Fusion is is pretty nice and it's Final Cut Pro like in some ways, and I enjoy using that to edit videos on the iPad. But yeah, you know, folks, we we just need more pro apps on the iPad. That's that's all there is to it. All right, so I have a ton of links in the show notes that are not iPad related, but there's no way we have time to get to any of those today, which I sort of suspected going in. So uh, I'll have to save those for next time around. 
But this time around, in summary, the iPad is turning 10. Happy birthday, iPad. And uh, a lot of the conversation right now around this device is sort of, you know, has it come far enough in 10 years? Is it where it needs to be? Where can it go next? Uh, And I'll put my stake in the ground by saying, I love the iPad. It's amazing. It's better than any other computing device at some key tasks, as Steve Jobs might say. But there's a few tasks it's way worse at than either a Mac or a smartphone. And I, I really want those way worse at aspects of the iPad to, to dissolve, <laughs> to just go away for the most part uh, in, in the next year or two. I want the iPad to be, you know, perhaps only slightly worse at some things, but way better at a ton of other things. And that's really where I want to see the iPad go from here. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in once again to The Jared White Show. As always, you can go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast to listen to this and other episodes, as well as subscribe to my email newsletter, support my Patreon campaign, which you can also go to by visiting patreon.com slash essentiallifejared to become a supporter of this show. Send me a message if you have any feedback on this show, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Jared C. White. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye.